A reading from the Gospel according to Luke. In those days, a decree went out from Emperor Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration and was taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. All went to their own towns to be registered. Joseph also went from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to the city of David called Bethlehem because he was descended from the house and family of David. He went to be registered with Mary, to whom he was engaged and who was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for her to deliver her child, and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in bands of cloth and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. In that region, there were shepherds living in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for see, I am bringing you good news of great joy for all people. To you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is the Messiah, the Lord. He, this will be a sign for you. You will find a child wrapped in bands of cloth and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace among those whom he favors. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go now to Bethlehem and see this thing that has taken place, which the Lord has made known to us. So they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the child lying in the manger. When they saw this, they made known what had been told them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured all these words and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. The word of the Lord. How many of you were in worship with us last week when the King's Brass brought that beautiful musical celebration? Wasn't that absolutely fantastic? We're still sort of reveling in that glory. One of the interesting things that happened after both worship services is that so many of you expressed great appreciation to me for a one-minute sermon. And so I've decided from here on out the rest of my career to preach only one-minute sermons. In fact, they're so popular, I'm going to put about 15 one-minute sermons together today, and we'll see how that works, okay? Is everybody with me in that? Good, good. We've been celebrating the season in so many different ways, but we've been celebrating especially by looking at some of the deep and broad and overarching messages of the Christmas season expressed in the words of Handel's Messiah, which of course are taken from the Scriptures. We started off our Advent season thinking about the idea of comfort. Isaiah says, comfort my people, says God. And that's part of what we celebrate, of course, at Christmas, the comfort that God gives us in knowing Jesus, in knowing forgiveness, in knowing grace, and in knowing the abundant life into which God welcomes us as we know Jesus. So there's great comfort that comes in this season. There is also, of course, a challenge that comes along with it. When God shows up in our lives, there is a very distinct dynamic that occurs 
as God challenges us to rethink who we are and who we have been, as God encourages us and shows us a new way to live, the way that he designed for us from the very beginning. And so Christmas is not all just about comfort and sitting back and relaxing. Christmas is about the challenge that is presented to all of us to move into the pathways even more fully and deeply of following Jesus. Well, today I want to talk about another one of those overarching themes, and that is the theme of celebration. Celebration. We all celebrate Christmas in so many different ways, and Christmas is indeed about celebration. Now, there are so many ways that we celebrate Christmas, there's no way to begin to describe all of them, but let me tell you about one of the most important in my world. Yesterday on Facebook, one of my cousins back in New Mexico posted several photographs of huge heaping plates full of chile rellenos. Now, we have to have a little educational session here. When I say chile rellenos, what most of you are thinking of are long green chilies that have been stuffed with cheese and then dipped in an egg or cornmeal batter and then fried. Is that what you're thinking of? That's fine. Those are delicious. They make them wonderfully at Teofilos restaurant in Los Lunas, New Mexico. But that's actually a stuffed green chili. It's not a chile relleno. At least not in the family in which I grew up. Some of my family's traditions I've learned go way, way, way deep back into the history of New Mexico. And for us, a chile relleno begins with taking some ground beef, browning it in a skillet with garlic and onion and salt, and then you take equal parts green chili, the chilies themselves that have been roasted and peeled and then chopped up a little bit. You take the ground beef in one hand, you take chili in the other hand, you roll it into a little ball, and then you dip that in an egg batter and you fry that. That is a true chile relleno. They're luscious. Some people call them Mexican meatballs, but I've never had a meatball as hot as a chile relleno. It's taken me about 22 years, Steve, to teach this church about the tradition of luminarias, all those beautiful little bags that are filled up, and we do that now, so maybe we'll start a new tradition next year. We'll have everybody come together, and we'll have one big, huge cooking session, and we'll make true chile rellenos. You'll never be able to go back to stuffed green chilies again. Now, that's just one tradition from my family, but there are thousands and thousands, perhaps millions of others. I love to study Christmas traditions. I discovered several years ago, actually from one of you in the congregation from Eastern European origins, that in that part of the world it is traditional to go down to the lake and fish out as big a carp as you possibly can find, and then to cook it at Christmas time. But in order to keep the carp fresh, you put it in your bathtub until it's ready to, to cook up. And so that's part of a Christmas tradition, is having a big fish in your bathtub in Eastern Europe. Works for me. 
In medieval Europe, where food was very scarce, it was a tradition of the very wealthiest people to slaughter a deer at Christmas time. And then, because it was Christmas, they would take the innards of the deer, the stuff normally that you take out and throw away. It would be the name for that stuff inside, all those organs and whatnot, was umbles, the umbles. Well, they would take the umbles and they would give that to the poor, because that was about the only meat they would have all winter. And the poor would take the offal from the deer and bake it up into pies. That's actually the origin of the term humble pie. So don't complain about your Christmas dinner <laughs> come Wednesday, right? Now, we are in this church traditionally, theologically at least, we are Calvinist Scots. The Calvinists were always very, very big on being very strict, very rigid about things, and for a long time in Scotland, they did not in the churches celebrate Christmas. In fact, it was only 1958 where Scotland itself declared Christmas as a national holiday. And one of our Scots members walking out from the early service said she remembered that very well because her father was a miner and he had to work. Everybody worked on Christmas Day. It was not a holiday. So the Scots have loosened up a little bit and now they celebrate Christmas the same as everybody else. Music, of course, is a big part of Christmas. And here's a musical tradition that you need to know about. In the Middle Ages, there was a lot of singing and a lot of partying and revelry that would go on, sometimes perhaps that got out of hand. And so in the Middle Ages, in most of the churches, the clergy would not allow people to come into the church to sing. And so the people wanted to sing. And so instead of going into the churches, they went out and they wandered around from street to street and house to house, knocking on doors to sing. They were not allowed in the church. That's where our tradition of Christmas caroling comes from. Isn't that fascinating? Now, there's a lot of argument and discussion these days about the top songs of Christmas, right? It's not Christmas without all the beautiful music. I'm sorry that you all missed at 9 o'clock. We, we had uh, the uh, guitar and piano uh, playing uh, the Vince Garibaldi tune from Charlie Brown's Christmas. You know, Christmas time is here. Beautiful. We even had a Charlie Brown Christmas tree sitting on the piano. It was wonderful. Of course, many people think that White Christmas is the most popular Christmas song of all time. That's probably true. Another one of the popular Christmas songs uh, is Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, right? Everybody knows Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Do you know where Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer came from, the song? That song was created in 1939 by a man named Robert May. He was in the advertising business. And he created that song as part of the advertising campaign for that year's Christmas season for the Montgomery Ward Department Store. It's nice to know the true spiritual origins of things, isn't it? <laughs> of course, we have to talk about Santa Claus. I read not long ago that Shirley Temple said that she stopped believing in Santa Claus when she was six years old. Her mother took her to a department store and set her on the lap of Santa Claus. And the first thing he did was ask her for her autograph. <laughs> and from then on, she stopped believing in Santa. 
Now let me assure you, that's just a story. Santa is real. That's just Shirley Temple. We could talk for hours about all of the different ways that people around the globe and throughout history have celebrated Christmas. But of course, at some point, we have to talk about the first Christmas, do we not? And we have to see there that from the very get-go, from the very first Christmas, it was all about celebration. The angels came to the shepherds and said, Do not be afraid, for see, I am bringing you good news of great joy to all the people. And then suddenly with that one angel, there was a multitude of angels singing and praising God. The shepherds went and found the baby, and then as they returned, they were glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. Christmas is about the comfort that God offers to us and the challenge that God presents before us, and it is also equally so about God's call for you and me to celebrate, to have a good time. But we do so, of course, for a very specific reason and in very particular ways. There was a time in England when the celebration of Christmas was actually illegal. It was outlawed because people used that time as an excuse for all kinds of illegal and immoral behavior. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about celebration from the perspective of the faith that we hold dear, celebration from the perspective of the things that God would have us do that would help us to more fully know him and love him and experience the true joy that he wants us to have, the kind of joy that was in the angels and in the shepherds. You see, God actually commands us throughout the scriptures every once in a while to stop what we're doing, to take some of the good things of life and to enjoy them, to celebrate. God told the people in Israel every fall to take some of their produce, a tenth of it in fact, and to share it with everyone around them so that everyone would have enough and then to have a huge feast, a party. Rarely do you hear Christian preachers say that it is your sacred duty to have a party. But it is. It is because when we celebrate from the perspective of faith, we are celebrating God's goodness to us. We are receiving the gift of a Savior. Not to celebrate would be like when you hand somebody a present and they simply put it in the, in the corner and say nothing about it. God has handed us the most precious gift that ever could possibly be. The gift of himself, the gift of his son, the gift of forgiveness, the gift of love that conquers hate and life that conquers death, a gift of his presence with us, 
And so everything about our Christmas celebrations is meant to celebrate, to lift it up, to hold Jesus there in front of us and say, look at this amazing gift from God. We're going to stop everything we're doing. We're going to go to great lengths and great expense and lots of time to tell God thank you for the gift that he has given us. Celebration is a Christian discipline, as much so as prayer or study or worship. God calls us every once in a while to stop our worrying about everything, to stop our fretting and fussing about everything, to stop and merely bask in his love and the joy that we experience because the Savior has arrived. When we celebrate, we accept the goodness of God and we hold it out for everyone to see. Dallas Willard said that we engage in celebration when we enjoy ourselves and our life and our world in conjunction with our faith and our confidence in God's greatness and beauty and goodness. When we celebrate, we concentrate on our life and world as God's work and as God's gift to us. It's a sacred duty because it fills us again with the same joy and peace that the angels proclaimed to the shepherds. But as always, it's not just about us. It's also about others. Because when we celebrate something, we hold it up and we lift it before everyone who is around us and say, see this amazing thing that we are doing. We are doing it to proclaim the love that God has brought into the world in Jesus Christ. I can say it no more clearly than Tubal said it a few moments ago, that in celebrating Christmas, the peaceful proclamation of God is laid out before all of God's children to see, and whether they're Christian or not, they can't help but say to each other, Merry Christmas. Our celebration is about nourishing and feeding our souls, but it is also about proclaiming the saving Lord Jesus Christ to the whole world. When we celebrate, we do so not just for the sake of having a party and a good time, but for the sake of welcoming others into that same joy and friendship and fellowship that we know in Jesus. So this Christmas, whether you have a fish in your bathtub or whether you're going to spend hours making God's heavenly scent delicacy, chile rellenos. Whatever it is that you do, do so in the glory and joy and goodness of God and invite others to it as well. Amen.